Okay, the reading question was about Clebsch-Gordon coefficients. Actual student answer, these coefficients determine the contribution of an individual possible spin state to the total spin of a two-particle system. Uh, student questions in equation 4.177, y is s equals 1 for the state 1, 0. Um, I see that the lowering operator lowers 1, 1 to 1, 0, but how does the combination of up and down spins not just sum to s equals 0? Well, s refers to this guy, which tells you about the magnitude of the total spin. And this is m, that's the z component. So if you have spin up and spin down, they add up to 0. So that's why this is 0, but that's m, not s. The most confusing part was the angular momentum of the atom as opposed to the spin of the particles. What is the difference? So if you have a two-particle system, they can each have a spin, and they, they can have a relative orbital angular, angular momentum. So the total angular momentum of the whole system is the sum of the spins plus the orbital angular momentum. So you have to add up all those different angular momenta, including the spin, to get the total. Uh, the book said that the figure with the explanation of the Club Gordon <laughs> coefficients is in relation to group theory and that we won't use it, so now I'm super confused. <laughs> also about um, So that horrible, co horribly complicated table, you don't have to understand how to read it because we are going to learn how to calculate every element of any of those tables from scratch. And usually you have just have simple problems it's easier just to work out the coefficients than try to remember how to read the table. And if that fails, on the web page there's a link to a Klebsch-Gordon calculator where you just put in the spin states that you want and it gives you the numbers. So you can always check understanding how it works. Uh, last quarter we talked about multiple systems put together and we introduced a notation to do that, a circle with an X. Tensor product, is that how the states are combined in this section without the notation? Yes, so whenever you have even just one particle with different parts of its wave function, it has a radial wave function, orbital angular momentum, spin, you make a tensor product of all those. And then you have two particles, you have one of those for each one, so you end up with six wave functions. You get tired of writing little crosses. Uh, how can the magnetic moments change the angular momentum without changing the energy or the shape of the wave function? I like this question, and the answer is that uh, it does, but you won't see that in your calculation unless you put a term in the Hamiltonian that accounts for the energy of how the spin is oriented. And we didn't do that yet, but we're going to someday. When we understand perturbation theory, we're going to come back and put in some of these little corrections that we've been neglecting. Do we have a good reason as to why the coefficients add up to 1? I mean the Clebsch-Gordon coefficients, if you square them, they add up to 1 because they represent the components of a wave function. And each component has a probability. When you add up those probabilities, they have to add up to 1 because something has to happen. So it's just quantum mechanics. Okay. Okay, so today we're going to learn how to add angular momentum. So the tricky thing is that we have two, two vectors. We have two vectors, but we don't know all three components simultaneously. 
of each one, and then we have to add them somehow. So what we mean by adding them is not that we're going to take the components and add them. We're going to add the operators that represent those components. And we're going to construct eigenstates of the total angular momentum. So suppose we had two spin-half particles. Just like you would have in a hydrogen atom. Proton has spin one half, the electron has spin one half. So if you have spin half, there's two possibilities, up and down. We have two of those guys, so there's four possibilities. They could both be up, one could be up, one could be down, or it could be the first one is down and the second one is up, or they could both be down. That's that's all the possibilities, right? Yeah, but We're, we're going to see how we can treat that. Um, they're not equivalent, those two guys. So what we want to do is add the spin operators to get the total spin. So we'll call them particle 1 and particle 2. Each of them, each of them has a spin operator, labeled 1 or 2, and we'll add it up and we'll get the total spin. So if we look at the Z component, of the total spin acting on, it would be nice if we just had a product of two wave functions. In general, a state may not be, you may not be able to represent it as just a product, but usually you can represent it as a superposition of products at least. I don't know of any example where you can't do that. So we'll break it down into components that are products of two wave functions. So there's a spinner wave function for particle one, a spinner for particle two, and we know the z component of the total angular momentum is just the sum of the z components for particle 1 and particle 2. And now, what does this SZ1 do to what spinner 2? It does nothing to spinner 2 because it only acts on <coughs> spinner 1. So we can write it like this. Z component of spin acting on spinner 1, and then we still have to multiply by spinner 2. And then spinner 2 doesn't care about, or angular momentum 2 doesn't care about spinner 1, so we'll just have it acting on spinner 2. And we've cleverly chosen these guys to be eigenstates of their spin. So we know that this is h bar times m1. And this is h-bar m2. So the z component of the total spin is just the sum of the z components. It's m1 plus m2 times h-bar. So if we go back to our list of possible states, these guys are both spin up. So m is a half plus a half equals one. This guy where the first one's up and the second one's down, we have a half minus a half, so that's zero. 
first one down, second one up, we have minus a half plus a half, also zero. And when they're both down, minus a half minus a half equals minus one. So these guys look good, but what about these two? They have the same <coughs> z component of total spin. So we're, we need to do something clever with them. But it's really just a question of choosing the right basis. Yes? And a stupid question. Why, do we, why does it matter if they're both spin zero because you want to distinguish between those things? Yeah, we want to... We want to... We're eventually going to construct things that are eigenstates of the total spin squared. And so we'll need, how, we'll need to figure out how to deal with that. We're going to do it right now. And the thing that's going to save our butts... Ah, turn the page too soon. Is our raising and lowering operators. So, I'll remind you that we constructed raising and lowering operators for spin. So if we act on a state SM, then we get H bar times the square root of s times s plus 1 minus m times m plus or minus 1. So if we apply that to spin half, we'll get a half times a half plus 1 minus a half times a half plus or minus one. Oops. The wave function doesn't go away. So this is a half times three halves is three quarters. If this is a plus, then we get minus three quarters. Uh, but if it's the minus, then we'll get quarter. So if we raise it, we get zero, like we want. And if we lower it, we just get square root of one. Plus or minus one. We're halves. Boy. Okay. So let's apply that to our problem. So the total lowering operator is the lowering operator for one plus the lowering operator for two. So if we act on the state up, up, We'll get the lowering operator acting on the first guy. And then the lowering operator that acts on the second guy. And we just get a factor of h bar with this guy lowered. 
put them back together. We get a factor of h bar now with the second guy lowered. So we get a linear superposition of the two states that we found. And then if we lowered this guy one more time, this guy, the first one can't be lowered anymore in this one, but we could lower that one. We get both down. This one, we could lower the first guy. The second one can't be lowered anymore. So we'll get both down. So we find, by doing this, we found the state with total s equals 1, as we'll see in a minute. It's called the triplet because there's three possible states. So if we label it by total S and total M, <coughs> so if they're both up, then total M is 1. If they're both down, total m is minus 1. And we know that m has to be less than or equal, <coughs> absolute value of m is less than, less than or equal to s. So it makes sense that uh, the maximum value we could get out of two spin half guys is spin 1. And if I normalize this combination that we found, it doesn't matter what order I write them in, the linear superposition of up down and down up. And then the one over root two is to make it normalized. So now we've found a Klebsch-Gordon coefficient. We found several. Here's one that's one. Here's one that's one over root two. Here's one that's one over root two. Here's one that's one. So the Klebsch-Gordon coefficients are just telling us how to convert between the two bases. So here I have a basis in terms of the individual spins of the two particles. Here I have a basis in terms of the total spin. So this guy is labeled by total S and total M. These guys have been lazy because they're spin half. There's only up and down. But they're labeled by their individual spins and their individual Z components. But I've only written the Z components. So we said there were four possible states, and now we've only found three. So there must be one more state, because changing, changing the basis is just like doing a rotation. Right? You can't. The physics doesn't change. So if there were four, four possible states, there's still four possible states just expressed as different linear combinations. And since, yep. And since we're trying to construct eigenstates of the total spin. Um, if the other state has a different eigenvalue, it's going to be orthogonal to this guy. And there's only one state that's orthogonal to that, because it's only two components. So there must be a state where we take 1 over square root of 2. The orthogonal state to that, we can write up to an overall phase. It's just putting a minus sign in between. We know it's orthogonal because if we take the overlap of this guy with this guy, this 
cat only has an overlap with that guy. This one only has an overlap with that guy. They're normalized, so their overlaps are 1. But then we'll get 1 minus 1. So the overlap is 0. So this is the orthogonal state. And that's going to be the state with total s equals 0. So that's the 0, 0 state. And that's called also called the singlet, because there's just one state with s equals 0, m equals 0. Because you can't lower or raise this guy. And you can check in your spare time if you tried raising this guy, you would get back to there. The other thing that's useful about these guys, these guys are symmetric. If I interchange the two particles, say they were two electrons instead of uh, an electron and a proton, then these wave functions are symmetric under the interchange. Nothing happens here. This one goes to that one. Nothing happens here. This one's anti-symmetric. So if we interchange the two, if they were both electrons, if we interchange them, then we get a relative minus sign because of this minus sign. That's anti-symmetric means if we interchange, we get a minus sign. So that's going to be very useful when we get to studying atoms that have more than one electron, which we're going to do, I think, on Wednesday because we'll be on Chapter 5. So just keep that in mind. So I just claimed that we have these states with total s equals 1 and total s equals 0. But I didn't show you that it's true. So now we're going to see that it's true. To do that, we need to construct the total spin squared and act on these states and make sure that it works. So the total spin squared would just be the dot product of the total spin operators. So we take S1 plus S2 and square it, and we'll get S1 squared and S2 squared and 2 S1 dot S2. And now this guy is easy, because we know it's eigenvalues. Yeah. Okay, so the spin operators are the matrices, right? Yeah, for spin half. For spin half. So do we have to worry about commutativity when you just say two S one? Well, this guy only acts on particle one wave function, okay. and this guy only acts on particle two. So we don't have to worry about that. But we know the eigenvalues here, they would be S one times S one plus one times H bar squared. S two times S two plus one H bar squared. This one we don't know, so we have to do a little work. So we'll use the matrix, matrix representations. So we remember our favorite Pauli matrices. So if we act with Sx on a spin-up guy in matrix notation, 
spin up is a 1 in the upper component of the spinner. And we do the matrix multiplication. 0, 1 on here gives us 0. And 1, 0 on here gives us 1, which is just the spin down guy. SY acting on spin up. It's that. So here, again, we get zero for the first component. And here we get I. And if we'd done the spin down guy, it would, this would have flipped it to spin up. This would flip it to spin up. And if we did the spin down guy over here, this would flip it to spin up, but with a minus sign. And SZ is diagonal, so we don't even have to multiply any matrices. We can do that one in our heads. If it's up, we'll get plus. If it's down, we'll get minus. So, you just have to evaluate this on the states that we have. So if you look at S1.S2, acting on spin up, spin down, you can write that out in gory detail. That's the X component of 1. acting on the first spinner, the X component of 2 acting on the second spinner. Then the Y component of 1 acting on the first times the Y component of the second one acting on the second one. And then plus the Z component time we get a factor of h bar over 2 squared, or each one has a factor of h bar over 2, and we're acting with two operators, so we get h bar over 2 squared. And we know that the x guy gives us h bar, well, we know that x guy flips the spin, so we get down there and up there, and y flips it and gives us a factor of i. And acting on the down guy gives minus i. And z gives plus for the up and minus for the down. It doesn't do anything. So we've got down up here, i times i gives minus, so that's plus. So we get 2 down up 
minus up down. We do the same thing but acting on the other state down up So all we've done is interchange down and up here. So when we act here, it's just going to interchange these two. And here, it again just interchanges these two. And does nothing, well, again just interchange, so we'll get two up down minus down up so now we can act on the total spin state the, the eigenstates of total spin that we can said we constructed to check that we actually did it correctly so if we take S1 dot S2 acting on the state the triplet state total S is 1 Z component is 0 so that was just the linear combination of those guys with a 1 over root 2 so acting on this guy we get 2 down up minus up down and then plus acting on this guy we get two up down minus down up and with a little arithmetic we have two minus one which is one two minus one is one And with the 1 over root 2, we just get back the state we started with. If we try the same thing acting on the singlet state, so total S is 0, Z component is 0. So the only difference between this state and that state was the relative minus sign between the two pieces. So we'll get the same first piece. Then the second piece flips sign because we had the anti-symmetric state. Now the math is a little different. So here we have 2 plus 1 is 3. Here we have minus 2 minus 1 is minus 3. And let's get the signs right. This is the thing that we said had the plus sign. This was the one with the minus sign, so there's an overall minus sign. 
Are there any questions? Yep. Would there have been a quicker way of checking this? Because if you were had a bigger system, would you have to like have a computer run through all possible um, we're not going to have to do this every time. We're just doing it in detail to make sure that what I told you is true. And then, it, in general, we don't have to do all these steps. We'll just use the lowering operators. So now we can check that this claimed uh, eigenstate is actually an eigenstate of the total angular momentum squared. So if we act on the triplet state, we worked out that the total spin squared is S1 squared plus S2 squared plus 2 S1 dot S2. And now we know all the eigenvalues to put in. So the first one, this is S times S plus 1. And it's only acting on the first guy. The first guy has spin half, so it's a half times a half plus 1. Then, same when it acts on the second guy, it's also spin half. And then we just worked out what S1 dot S2 was. It's a h bar squared over 4. So this looks like uh, a half times three halves is three quarters plus three quarters plus a half. And six quarters plus two quarters, eight quarters, two. And two can also be written as one times one plus one. So it has the correct eigenvalue for spin one. What about the spin zero guy? So S1 squared and S2 squared are the same. But now we got, we have two from here times minus three quarters. This is three quarters, three quarters minus two times three quarters, zero, which is the same as zero times zero plus one. So it works. So now we can do any combination of spins, not just spin half. So if we wanted to combine spin S1 and another guy with spin S2. What was the logic that we used? We took the, the states with the maximum Z components and we put them together. And we chose those because that will give the total, angular, total spin with the maximum Z component. Because the Z components we can just add. We proved that. So if there's only one state that can have that maximum Z components, it can only be made out of the individual states 
when they have their maximum z components. So that's a unique state. So we start with that one because there's no ambiguity about mixing things up in linear superpositions. There's only one way you can make that state. So there should be a state that um, whose total spin is just the sum of the spin values because the z components can be equal to the total spin eigenvalue. And then we can add those up if they're both aligned in the same z-axis to get a st state that has z component s1 plus s2. And that must mean that it's a total spin state that has that much spin. Because that's the maximum spin you can get. So that must be the total spin as well. So pictorially, that's taking the spins and having them aligned as much as possible. Then we can act with lowering operators. Each time we act with a lowering operator, it reduces the z component by 1. So the first time, we'll lower it by 1. Then we'll lower it again. We'll get minus 2. How low can we go with regard to spin? That would be when the guys are anti-aligned. So then the z component would be the difference. And we'll put absolute values because we don't know which one's bigger in general. In a particular example, you would know which one's bigger. And the total spin eigenvalue is a positive number. So you just construct this state, unique state, where they're both have the maximum z components, then by lowering, you can make all the other states. That's the logic. Or you could have started with this guy and worked out. You should get the same answer. And this doesn't. This isn't just for spin. It works for any angular momentum. We're just uh, all the results we're using are just following from the commutators, just different eigenvalues. Let's do an example where we combine an orbital angular momentum and a spin. So we'll have an L equals 1 state and an S equals a half. So the total angular momentum, people like to call that J. Oops. It's equal to the orbital angular momentum plus the spin. And just like before, it's a raising and lowering operators. It's just made out of the raising and lowering operators for orbital angu angular momentum and spin. And if we start at the top state, we only need the lowering operators. And in your homework, you're deriving this formula. same for a spin and orbital angular momentum. The only thing that changes is L changes to S. And the only tricky thing is to keep track of this 
z component of spin is different from the z component of orbital angular momentum. So maybe we should call it S sub m. So in our particular example, we have L equals 1 and S equals a half. So the state with the biggest z component must be when we have a z component 1 for orbital and z component a half for spin. So the highest state highest state for j will be j equals 1 plus a half. It's 3 halves. And that state is 1, 1. L is 1, M is 1. S is a half. Sm is a half. And then we can just lower that state. So if we act with j minus, can have j minus is L minus plus S minus. L minus only acts on this guy. S minus only acts on that guy. L minus acting on this guy will be an h-bar for everything. L minus acting on 1, 1 will get the square root of 1 times 1 plus 1 minus 1 times 0. So there's a square root of 2 and it becomes 1, 0 didn't do anything to spin. And then the spin lowering on this guy doesn't do anything to the orbital part. And we can check again, half times a half plus one is three quarters. Minus a half times minus a half is plus a quarter. So we just get a square root of one. And we lower the z component. So now it's minus a half. And we can do that again. So at this point, we can normalize this state. And why shouldn't we? It's a nice, it's a nice wave function. It deserves to be normalized like everybody else. So h bar, we don't, we're going to divide by that. So cancel the h bar. If we square this guy, this guy only has an overlap with itself. So that'll give us a 2 plus 1. So we need to divide by the square root of 2 plus 1, otherwise known as 3. Now we have a normalized state. Now when we do the next guy, we don't need the overall coefficients because we're just going to normalize it in the end. So we'll just forget about the h-bars from now on. And we'll forget about this 1 over root 3 because it's an overall factor. And we're just going to normalize it away. But we want this relative factor there's root 2 multiplying this guy, no root 2 over here. So we'll keep track of that. Now it's the same story. Now there's going to be four terms. Well, maybe not four terms. Potentially four terms, because we have an operator made out of L minus and S minus. It's acting on two states. So when we lower this guy, we're going to get a state with m equals minus 1, so we'll have 1 times 1 plus 1 is 2, minus 0 times minus 1, so we get another factor of root 2. Then nothing happened to the spin. 
Then we can lower the spin guy. So we have our original factor of root 2. Nothing happens to the orbital part. Lowering spins, we just get square root of 1. So we get minus a half. Then acting on this guy, we already know how to lower that guy. We did it up here. So we get a root 2, 1, 0, a half minus a half. And then lowering this guy, we get 0, because it's already as low as it can go. And looky there. This is the same as that. So there were, we only ended up with two guys. And if we normalize it, so this is 2 root 2 over here, and this is a 2. So if, when we take an overlap with itself, this guy will give us 4. 2 root 2 will give us 4 times 2, it's 8. Now we can lower one more time. So here's two from two root two times root two. Uh, we can lower one zero to get one minus one, which we just worked out will give us a root two. Wait, I'm reading the wrong line. We're here. We have root 2 times root 2 is 2. We have 1 minus 1. We can't lower that. It's already as low as it goes. So we can only lower this guy. And spin half, we only get 1s. So now that's minus a half. These guys were the same, so there's a 2 root 2. We can lower this first guy. and we worked out that that gives us another root 2. Nothing happens to the spin and then we can't lower that guy again. Now these guys are the same. So this whole mess is this in general we know that if we have any angular momentum L, we have two L plus one states. Since we're dealing with total angular momentum, we call the eigenvalue J instead of L. So there should be two J plus one states. J is three halves, so two J is three plus one. There's four states. One, two, three, four. Yes? Okay. Just a little confused here. So what you did was that you were, uh, you were counting the total angular momentum of the sum of the spin and the normal angular momentum. And orbital, yeah. And so those two states, the one, the one, one, what is the angular momentum and the spin in the z direction? This is L and M. And this is S and SM. And SM, sorry, as well? This SM is the z component of the spin. Okay. We, I just didn't want to call it M because there were two M's, but you could call it M too as long as you keep them separate. So I'm going to just rewrite what we derived. 
now that it, we can simplify it. So the top state was 1, 1, a half, a half. Doesn't get much simpler. We lowered that. We got a 1 over root 3, then a root 2, 1, 0, a half, a half, plus 1, 1, a half, minus a half. We lowered it again. And we've got this big mess. Uh, so there's a 1 over root 12 here. But there's a common factor of 2 that we can take out. So the 2 over root 12 is 1 over root 3. So we took out all of that. So we have 1 minus 1, a half a half. And here there's a root 2 left over. And then this guy, after we normalize, it's just 1 minus 1, a half minus a half. And it's a good thing that there's only one term because we said the lowest state also has to be unique, just like the top state was. So that's a cross-check. So if we label these things by J and JM, this is 3 halves, 3 halves. Then the lowering operator only changes the Z component, it changes it by 1. So this, this should be 3 halves, 1 half. If you check each guy in here, the z components add to a half. Lower it again, we should get minus a half. Lower it again, so two comma. We should get three halves minus three halves. So we could have started with the three halves minus three halves and used raising operators to go up. Same story. But that's not the end of the story, because that is all the states with the maximum. So if we had, we had L equals 1 and S equals a half, there's three states here and two states there. So there's six states altogether. So there should be two more states. And we see that here, we have some eigen, eigenstates that have the z com total z component is a half, but it's obviously not the complete set of those states because there's two pieces. So I, we could make one orthogonal vector to that. That would span the rest of the space. So if we make that orthogonal guy, how do we do that? So it'll have the same cats. But we'll want to introduce a minus sign, and we'll want to move this root 2.
now overlap this with this, we'll get root 2. Overlap that with that, we'll get minus root 2. So the orthogonal. And then we could act with the lowering operator on here. And we'll get things that have 1 minus 1 and with a half a half and 1 0 with a half minus a half, just like we have here. But in this case, it's simple because there's also one ket that's orthogonal to this guy. And if we check it, we're going to find that by taking the lowering operator on here, we'd get the orthogonal state to this one. Something you can check in your spare time again. So for that state, we'll get the root 2 here, up to an overall phase again. Now these guys have jm equal to zero. Sorry, one minus a half is a half. They have jm equals a half. And there's only two of them. So you can also check that they have eigenvalues of total j, <coughs> total angular momentum, j equals a half. check that we saw that if you lower 1, 0, you get a root 2 times 1 minus 1. Is there anything else we can check? So in general, if we want a state of total angular momentum, that will be written as a superposition of states. We make it out of states with L and M and holy, holy moly, we're five minutes overtime. Okay, uh, homework's due tomorrow at noon in the graders box.